Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. I am really thrilled for today's guest. He is the very hilarious Severio Guerra, uh, Mocha Joe from Curb. Going to get to him in a second. But first, I want to thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read a few next time. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor and yourselves and follow or subscribe. And this way you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. All right. Severio Guerra is an actor and writer who has been in the business for over 35 years. He is best known to television audiences as Mocha Joe on Curb Your Enthusiasm, as well as Bob on the long-running CBS comedy Becker with Ted Danson. He has appeared on such shows as Law & Order, Billions, The Goldbergs, The Detour, and many more. In film, he has worked with such directors as Spike Lee in Summer of Sam, Michael Bay in Bad Boys, Barry Levinson in Sleepers, and Curtis Hansen in Luck You. Savario, welcome into the back room. Hey, man, how are you? Great. You're actually in the back room. We love uh, when people it, come it's in. It's an actual little back room. Yeah, it's a good, good, oh, name, we don't, good we don't, name for the space. <laughs> we don't bullshit in the back room. It's a back room. So, or the back closet. I noticed Mocha Joe walked in with his own cup yeah. of coffee. And we have coffee here. Would you like a cup of coffee? We no, get, no, I'm good. Actually, you sure? An, we an get honest, it from La Latte Larry's. This is an honest cup of coffee. <laughs> I paid for it. It's all about the beans. We get the In Manhattan, I don't pay for coffee. Only in Rhinebeck, and I got I really, I don't think I paid for a cup of coffee in like, in Rhinebeck. You know, in 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 anywhere since Kirby Enthusiasm aired, I, it's very rare I pay for coffee because I usually get charged double or it's free. Yeah, I had a guy who refused <laughs> to serve me in a Starbucks in Manhattan with my daughter, and I got up and I said, "Hey, can can I have an americano?" And he was like, "I'm sorry, I can't serve you." And he said, well, "What are you talking about? I can't serve you." I go, dude, I just want to, I want an Americano. He goes, no, nah, I, I can't do it. I'm such a diehard Latte Larry fan, but I won't serve you. And he got someone else to help me. I thought he was joking. You also don't like the sizes in Starbucks. So. Never would say, I always say, give me a small, medium, or a large. And I refuse to say venti, whatever, whatever. What is it? Venti? I know, grande. Grande. Yeah, grande. Let me get a grande. Why, why would I say grande? It's, like, it's just the weirdest thing ever, I know. So you're a really funny guy. Were you always funny? Were you a little? Were you as a kid cracking everybody up? Were you the class clown? I, no, I wasn't the class clown. I certainly, you know, talked a lot, and uh, well, I like to think of myself as not the class clown. No, but I mean, I always had a comment or a conversation. I mean, I was four for two and named Severio, so I had to be good at something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, my, my, I was four for two. I was named Severio. My dad said, "Look, you're going to get your ass kicked." Uh, so you, you know, you're did you? Have, you're going to have to hit first. You know. He was like, look, you pick the biggest guy in the group or punch him in the face. I don't know if that was solid advice, but, you know, it worked. Where'd you, where'd you go to school? Rikers Island? No, pretty much. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> no, I went to school and uh, I went to Catholic school for the first uh, uh, four years of my life. And then uh, we moved from Red Hook, Brooklyn, which is uh, now they call it uh, Gowanus. <laughs> Gowanus. Give me a break. Uh, it was Gowanus, and uh, and uh, we call it was Red Hook, you know, or South Brooklyn when I grew up, and and it was you know it wasn't like it is now. Uh, and then my dad, we we were able to buy a house in another area of Brooklyn in Bensonhurst, mm -hmm. and then so and he had it, he had had it with uh, Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Actually, we all it, had. Bensonhurst <laughs> had is where Saturday Night L a Fever was filmed, right? Yes, and uh, and we bought a house in Bensonhurst, and. Uh, so he said, you, you guys are going to public school. 
So, and we did. So from the fifth grade on, I went to public school in, uh, in Bensonhurst. Mm -hmm. and, and so four foot 11 and <laughs> named Severio. So there was a lot I'm of bullying? I'm five seven now, by the way. I want everybody to know that I'm five seven now, yeah. You're a giant among I'm men. a giant amongst the Danny <laughs> A giant in the, the in the comedy biz. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I pulled it out. I got the five seven. I don't know how, but we managed. And mm -hmm. the surgeries were hard, but we did it. Well, you know what? They have kids today who are on these yeah. medicines. Well, or they whatever. did. You know, I have a funny story. I, when I went to school, they called my mother up school, and said we needed to speak with her in Catholic school, and right before I left, and they said, basically, uh, <laughs> said, look, he's too short, and uh, we suggest we give him hormone therapy. And at the time, I think they were plugging all the, the shots to get kids to make them taller. And my mother said something really inappropriate to the nun. Uh, and she was like, well, everybody's different. He's just short. You know, you got, she said to a nun, you have little boobs and I had big boobs. And it's the way it works, you know. And I thought that was great. And the nun said, no, actually. My I'm... mother said, no, we're not giving him hormones. It was never that thing. My parents, I, I was always made to feel like, I, I do, I'm lucky that way. My parents gave me like this amazing amount of confidence. They were never like, look, Somebody doesn't want to hang out with you. That's their that's their loss. Mm -hmm. You know you you know they always, you know they they put me in a position to feel good about myself regardless. You know to be a comedian, to be someone who <clears throat> tries to make people laugh, don't you need an enormous amount of confidence? Because to put yourself out there that way. You know, I was a musician, so I I I was a drummer, and I, music was my first love, and I played love, and I always had a rhythm, and I always knew rhythm, which for me comedy is there's, it's a lot there's a rhythm to it. You know mm -hmm. you could. Why comedians can say sort of non stuff that doesn't even mean anything, and people laugh. You know, like you could put if there's a rhythm to it, right? You will laugh. You know, sometimes you see Robin Williams go on those rants, and there's like two sentences in there that don't even make any sense. Right. Or Jonathan Winters, you know, like what did he even say? Right. But or even Don Rickles, and you're laughing because it's just the rhythm of it. I mean, I saw Don Rickles tell Julia Roberts once, "You don't have any lines, honey. Don't talk." And it was just the funniest thing I had ever scene because she started talking and he was you don't have any life don't talk and it was just amazing to me because just to, so it's not really that funny but the rhythm of it and shutting her up is kind of funny what's that per persona thing certain people can say anything and it'll be funny because of who they are and how they say it like rickles yeah jonathan yeah. winters those guys they were just yeah. so they were funny <clears throat> they could say anything and yeah and sometimes funny. like rickles would go on longer than it than the bit needed to be and the stuff he was saying didn't really make any sense or wasn't sort of like funny per se ha ha i wrote a joke funny but it's still in in the, its entirety really funny like mm -hmm. the character's funny him just you know right it's, just, it's, it's, it's amazing it's it's pretty amazing but i mean yeah for me it's about rhythm and i don't know i've always had an energy that's for sure so you play the yeah. drums i do yeah well, i play the drums yeah, I still, oh, oh, did we talk about that we may have i don't know um we talked about so much i know we covered a lot though yeah, yeah. But, um <laughs> but this is essentially our second day we yeah <laughs> Be careful if you want I'm to have buying, a third. You I'm be, buying you on the be... second day, definitely. <laughs> what? <laughs> were you ever in a, ba <clears throat> a band? Or yeah, you just bang around yourself? I played in bands. No, I played in bands and, and stuff like that. I mean, I really wanted to be a musician. But I don't know. I, I, then the acting sort of, you know, I got into a really bad, oh, this will bore everybody, but what happened was I I I'd gotten to a, I was playing drums, I was playing music, and, and then I, Acting interested me, I guess, in the back of my mind somewhere, or comedy, you know, like, just in general. I was a big fan of, of, of comics and just funny people, movies, or, or just, you know, actors. And then I, but it never it occurred to me. I was playing the drums, and 
And then I, I, I took a job and I, I, long story short, I got into a car accident while I was, uh, a truck accident while I was working on the job. Mm. And I flipped the truck. On the first week I worked for the company, a friend of mine said, take this job, you'll make some money. I'm like, I don't want to do this for a living. Said, yeah, but you got to get a job. You can't, you, you got to work. So I, I went, my dad was like, what are you going to do? You gotta take, you know, take a job. And so I, uh, I, uh, I took this job. And I, the first week I had it, I flipped the truck over. A woman cut me off in New Jersey. I flipped over down a hill and I, I was in critical condition. Wait, bad, bad drivers in New Jersey? Oh my God. No, unheard of, isn't it? Jesus. <laughs> Shocking. You're making only, news here today. Only in scenario. the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I flipped. She, a woman wanted to get off on an exit and she was in the left lane and she cut in front of me. And I, I'm driving this 12 foot flat bed with these like big batteries on the back that make machinery run. I don't I have no, 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 uh, no reason to be there. <laughs> and I swerved not to hit her, and I hit the embankment. I flipped over down a hill. I was in critical condition incentive care for 10 days, not expected to live. Broke, at, broke every rib on both sides, right and left scapulas, lacerated my liver, lacerated my kidneys, ruptured my spleen. They removed it. So it was like then, in an odd thing, I was in the hospital, and I just said to myself, if I get out of here, I'm never going to do anything anyone else wants me to do. I'm going to do what I want. Oh, well. That's Period. I just said, I don't know what that is yet, but I'm going to do, I'm never, I just, no way. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I was able to get better. And, and You I, should find that woman in New Jersey. Yeah. Sounds no, like you, she kept going. So, it sounds like you owe your life to she her. She never stopped. Yeah, well, I always say I crashed into my life. <laughs> like everything good had happened in my life after that crash. So it's like I crashed into what my actual life was supposed to be mm. in a kind of weird way. But uh, Are you a religious man? Uh, No. Because that sounds no. very religious. Oh, really? Does it? Oh, interesting. <laughs> or spiritual. Can we get some religious music here in the back room? Uh, no, I crashed it, but everything great happened in my life. I met my wife after that uh -huh. crash. I, I became, and because everything great in my life happened after I did, made the decision to be an actor. Well, you know, and I said, if I get out of, I, you know, I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I, you know, I didn't know how to go about it. Music was something, you, you know, every kid, you didn't have to know how to go about right. it. You got a guitar, you got drums, and you kind of did it. But acting, I was like, oh, this is going to take some, I'm going to have to figure this out. And then I promised myself that I would do it. And then when I was able to move around again, without telling anyone, I just sort of went around the city, looking around, asking questions. And I found HB Studios in Manhattan. Mm. And I signed up for an acting class. But the great thing was, see, I couldn't work. So no one was telling me to get a job because I was too injured and I was on disability because of my injuries. So nobody could say get a job. So I was in peace. Let's let him acting. just let him act yeah, yeah. until he's better. Let him do it. Yeah, yeah. And because they were like, you know, he can't work, but I couldn't work physically while I was recovering. So I said, you know what? I'm going to use this time. To Did you milk it longer than it actually? Oh, I'm still milking it. Yeah, 35 years later, my parents are like, get a job. I'm like, no, no, my back is hurting a little bit. <laughs> That's me on television, mom. <laughs> so they still ask me, you know, someday you'll make it. I'm like, Seriously, my mom still asked me, my dad's like, you got money on you? You need money? If I go to LA, like I'll stop by their house. I was going out to do Curb Your Enthusiasm and I leave from JFK because I'm a peer. So I go in the night before and so I go over and see them, you know. And they know I'm going to LA and my mom's going, you got money on you? What are you going to do out there by yourself? I don't understand. What do you do out there when you're by yourself? I'm like, mom, I'm working. I lived out there for 17 years. I have friends. You know, it's like my, it's like my second home. I don't understand. You're going to go by yourself. What's Kim going to do? I mean, she's going to be in Ryan's 
She'll be fine, you know. That's your daughter or your <laughs> No, my your wife. wife. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Like, my wife suddenly can't be without me. She traveled the world with <laughs> Duran Duran and did two world tours. She used to work with Duran Duran. Oh, so wow. she did two world tours with the band and my, now my mother thinks she can't get gas <laughs> at the gas station by herself. You know? <laughs> So you mentioned before Jonathan Winters, Rickles. I would imagine these these were your inspirations growing up. Any others? Well, actually, no. Not not guys like no. Winters. Not I mean, they weren't. No, my inspiration were the guys who could. You know, my inspiration were guys. When I became an actor, everybody wanted to be. It sounds really weird, but like every, when I loved acting, everybody wanted to be like Robert De Niro, James Caan, and I wanted to be John Cazale. I wanted to be mm. Fredo. I said, that's the part you want to play. Fuck Sonny, that's easy. You want to be Fredo. That's right. the part. And that's what I want. That, that appealed to me. Like, I, that's the guy I want to be. What is it about Fredo's character? Well, John in general is an actor. He's just mm-hmm. my acting hero. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I, there's not, you know, there's no, just the absence of any vanity. The absence, mm-hmm. just the work. The absence of any vanity. The total, utter commitment to what you're doing. You know? I think when I, when I do Kirby Enthusiasm, I, I think part of it is the, I think, like I, I said to Larry David once, a, a long time ago when I was doing the first season seven, when I just came in to do the one episode that introduced Mocha Joe, and I was like, well, who's who's good on this show? Like, how, who does better in this environment, this improv environment? And he said, you know, actors, believe it or not. Mm, why is that? Well, comics want to get a laugh. Right. So they're always trying to get a little, you know, to comics, my, my imagine, I imagine silence is death. Right. You know, <laughs> you, know you say something and no one laughs. You're like, well, you know, but so there's a, there's an, mm. uh, there's a sort of a instinct to top maybe what Larry's saying or to be funny and to be witty. Like I'm a witty guy, but Mocha Joe, I don't bring those witticisms to Mocha Joe. Right. I commit to playing Mocha Joe, the angry coffee guy who can't stand Larry. <laughs> I could say, I could think of some really funny things to say that I can say and say they're from Mocha Joe's mouth, but they just don't feel right to me. They feel like they're more severial than Mocha Joe. So I commit, and I think Larry loves, he loves actors, and I think he loves the fact that there's a complete, utter commitment, and I'm not trying to top him or, or do anything different to change the scene. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's what he likes. I mean, it's acting. The show's well, got actors. So it's, it's Larry's acting. a really it's, good yeah, actor. And, yeah. people don't, and I don't, but that's what I'm saying. Is that it, he doesn't get enough credit because everybody thinks that's just him. Right, but if you work with him in the scenes and you see what he's doing, and you go, "Oh, yeah, he's he's acting," mm-hmm. you know, because you you get it. Like right. all those guys, Richard Lewis, you know, who's a, who's hysterical comedian oh, so and funny. playing himself. But if you watch those scenes, you'll go, "Oh, you know, it's acting." But like you said, you know, none of us are winning Emmys because we're all playing ourselves. You know, I but, watched uh, the uh, I watched a bunch of episodes last night from season ten, and obviously Mocha Joe stuff, but. <laughs> When Richard Lewis is doing his stage performance, but they all ate licorice and it's oh giving them God. diarrhea. Yeah, yeah, he ate the, the, the Bavarian, the, the Bavarian <laughs> licorice from the BMW dealer, I think. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, just so funny. I have a favorite scene with Richard. I worked with Richard uh, 30, like 34 years ago. I did a movie with Richard. He was the lead in it and uh, called Drunks. And everybody was in this movie, if you look it up. It was like every person who went on to be like this tremendous actor. And Richard played the lead. It was uh, Gary Lennon wrote it, and it's about al- being. Uh, he was an alcoholic, about being in recovery, and uh, so I, that's when I met Richard. All that time ago, we had one scene together. At, out, it was freezing outside on like, you know, one of those low budget independent movies where they had like the little packs you put in your pockets to keep your hands warm. You know, 
reason I'm asking. There was a phone at a phone booth, a scene in a phone at a phone booth. He comes by, and I'm in the phone booth, and I don't know if he asked for money or whatever it is, but we had this scene. It never made it into the film, but we, that's when we met. And I always, you know, loved him, loved this comedy, and and then and then and then all these years later, season ten comes, and we're shooting the scene, and I was said, I got to bring Rich, Richards in this scene. I said. He's a, he, really, and he goes. So he put, you know, he puts him in Mocha Joe's, and he's got that scene where, well, the scene where he says, I, I, "I'm boycotting Mocha Joe's." Oh yeah, and yeah. then he and, I and Larry over, catches yeah, him, yeah. and he says, over, "No, boycotting him with you." I didn't say I would come here by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I, and I come over and I go, "It's this guy." <laughs> he loved the fact that so stupid stuff. And I come over and I go, "Mr. Lewis, is this guy? Is he bothering you?" And he goes, "Yes, he's bothering me." You know, <laughs> in that Richard Lewis voice. But he goes, "I can't, I can't." Little things, you know, like he, yeah. he, he, that he would think were really good. Like just the fact that you came over and said, is, this, is he bothering you, Mr. Lewis? You called me Mr. Lewis. I'm like, well, that's what I would call you, you know. But I think you're right. Everybody on that show is amazing and brings something different to it. And I do want to get to Curb in, in a bit. But when was that moment where you got your first gig and you said, I'm, I'm in this business. I'm, I'm going to make a living in this business. Somebody asked me that a while ago and said, when did you first feel successful? And my honest answer, and this is a corny answer, is, is, you know, the moment I decided to become an actor. It wasn't about work for me. It wasn't about success for me. Just a commitment. Once I made the decision that this is what I was going to do with my life, I went, holy shit, wow. Like, nobody, people don't get to do that. You know, my dad was a longshoreman on Pier 7 in Brooklyn his whole life. He didn't get to make a choice what he wanted to do with his life. He worked to support us and take care of us. And I thought, just choosing something that you love and want to do, that's success to me. And the rest of it is gravy. I'll see what happens, and the rest of it is gravy. And that was always my approach. I was like, okay, I'll just keep, I'll do it. And knowing that I'm successful because I'm, I'm not going to live a life of doing something I don't want to do. And I'll just, I'll follow that path. I mean, as far as getting work and thinking, okay, Everything leads back to Larry David for some reason. But the, when I got my first pilot, I got a pilot for Fox at the time. It was my first pilot ever. I remember calling my mom at a payphone from like a Marriott. And uh, I said, Ma, I, I, they test. I went out to test. I said, Ma, I got the part. They go, are they paying you? I'm like, yeah, they're paying me. Don't worry, they're paying me. <laughs> but but I, I called them to get in the part. and go, wow, I got a pilot. You know, So that was great. And ironically, that was the pilot where I met Larry 35 years ago. Oh wow! Yeah, I met Larry. His wife. Uh, Does he remember that? He doesn't. He doesn't care about anything I say. Really, <laughs> I think he shakes his head and goes, "Yeah, yeah, shut up, you little." Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I, I reminded him once. Yeah, we met. And he, he remembers it if I bring it up. But, well, you know, he, but he, uh, I met him. His ex-wife, Lori David, was producing the pilot at the time they were married, and she was the producer of the pilot. And they had asked Larry to come down. Another writer wrote, and Seinfeld was just becoming a hit. Mm -hmm. So, of course, every network wanted a Seinfeld. So, Larry, they asked Larry if he would come down and watch the pilot being filmed. And then that, and that turned into Larry kind of rewriting lines and writing me lines on, like, napkins and saying, say this when you come in, and a matchbook cover, and say this when you come in. And he was kind of rewriting the pilot. The pilot didn't go, but we all kind of got jobs out of it. Mm -hmm. So... I ended up getting like some development deal with Castle Rock, who was producing it, who also produced Seinfeld, to maybe create a show for me. The writer became a writer on, who wrote the pilot, became a writer on Seinfeld. Andy Ackerman, who directed the pilot, became director of Seinfeld. So Larry, we all kind of got mm -hmm. jobs out of it. But, but then that was it. I, I, didn't ever, I never saw like, uh, I, never, I mean, I saw Larry around, you know, at parties and stuff when I was on Becker, but I never. And how is it like transitionally for a Brooklyn guy going out to LA and living out in LA? 
Well, you know, I lived in the city. I mean, I, I, my goal, I mean, I was always trying to get out. You know, I would, I would always cut out of school early in Brooklyn and go, even when I was 13, you know, 14 years old, I would hop on the train and I would go into Greenwich Village because it's where I loved to be. And because I was playing drums, a lot of people, you know, a lot of musicians got together in Washington Square Park. So, you know, I was always going into the city and that was my goal was to get to the village, was to live in the village, get there somehow, anyway, anyhow, just get there and that's basically what I did. I started studying acting at HB Studios around mm -hmm. the corner on 11th Street. I hung out at the White Horse Tavern before and at the class so much that the owner said to me one day, look, what are you doing? Why don't you just work here? You're here all the time. <laughs> and I said, well, I need a job. And I, and I became the doorman at the White Horse Tavern. And then I became the bartender, one of the bartenders at the White Horse Tavern because I was there so much. And then that's my wife, my future wife God, lived on 11th Street. I must have seen you there a million times. Yeah, and I left, I met my wife because she lived on 11th Street, where I was right across from HB Studio. So uh, I would, well, HB's on bank, but I, mean, I, would, I would, she lived on 11th, and she would walk by all the time, and that's how I met my wife, and that's just sort of like I always say my life started when I, when I decided to become an actor. Everything good in my life was a result of, of making that decision mm -hmm. that day in the hospital to say, if I get out, I'm going to try to be an actor. Mm -hmm. so, and did you like L.A. when you were there? It's fine. You know, I kind of missed the weather, to be honest. I know that's corny, but... I know everything in retrospect when you leave, like when I was there, it's fine. We had a nice life. You know, it wasn't, there was no, oh, I mean, you have these typical New York, New York versus LA things. And, uh, but, uh, then when you, then there's things that happen to me there now as an adult that you know, my daughter was born there. Mm -hmm. So there's a deeper attachment to it now. Now mm -hmm. I can't, I can't bitch about it because it's my daughter's, she was born there, you know, mm -hmm. and we lived there. I, I didn't move back here until my daughter was seven, you know, so, so. There's so many memories there. I bought my first home there, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and so you came from L.A. to the Hudson Valley. In 1996, I moved to Los Angeles, moved there uh, from Tribeca. We moved to L.A. in 96. We lived there for 17 years. And then we moved back to New York in 2014, but we moved back to, we moved to Brooklyn. Right. And we spent five right. years in Brooklyn. And then... We moved up here. And what made you decide to give up Brooklyn and the city and be a full-timer upstate uh, New York? Too many white people, too many yuppies, too many baby Damn, carriages. You know. Know. No, just too much. Too many Gowanus yeah, people. Yeah, too many Gowanus people. You know, <laughs> too many, too many, uh, like Larry would say, latte, double kappa, lap, whatever they call it. You know, too many. Coffee bullshit. Yeah, coffee bullshit people. Yeah. You know, it was just a way of life that, I mean, people were great, but I just, you know, I, it's just everything, you know, it just, it just. It's too much, and I want a better school for my kid. I didn't want to go through that routine of this middle schools, and so we thought, let's go. We came up to the Hudson Valley a lot, you know, uh, and when we moved back for the five years we were here, we moved up, and we just sort of always came up, so we thought, well, what if we live up there? Isn't it great? Like, we, you have a And my daughter was up, my, thank God I have a kid who's up. She's like, yeah, that'd be great. No, she's just up for anything. We're going to move from L.A. and we're going to drive cross country in the car with the dog. Yeah, great. <laughs> she just loves adventure. So she was like, fantastic. That's amazing. And so so she eased right into it. And then uh, we would go to Woodstock a lot. And she said, what if we live up there? And my wife's like a nature freak. You know, she'd never indoors. I call her an outrovert because she's always outside. <laughs> so you get up in the morning, we have to look for her. We're like, where's mom? And you look and she's like, you yell, Kim, and you hear in the distance, I'm here. <laughs> and she's usually out by like a vegetable. And your daughter loves it up here. 
She does. I mean, I guess she's got a sweet spot for California. I must admit, she mm -hmm. said she's thinking about looking at California colleges. Mm -hmm. Has she has she been bitten by the acting bug? No, I have to say no. She's an amazing artist. My wife's an artist, so she's got that gift. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, uh, we on our first day we talked about how you look like Robert De Niro and Mel Brooks. Oh, what a great! <laughs> <laughs> and, and Brad Pitt. Yes, and I also a little Brad Pitt in there. <laughs> A little Brad Pitt in it. No, uh, I told you Barry Sonnenfeld, the director, once uh, said to me uh, that I was a cross between Robert De Niro and Groucho Marx. <laughs> you, you, how, you want more coffee? No, no, I'm good. Sure, good. Yeah. We got the beans. We got no, the beans. No. <laughs> we got the beans. Yeah. <laughs> All good coffee starts with the beans, Larry. Awakenings with De Niro and Robin uh, yeah, Williams. Yeah, I, 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 was, I worked on that as a glorified, you know, extra. I played one of the, uh, you know, patients in the... Uh, in the uh, psychiatric home. So like I'd always be like in the back playing patient, like with some, you know, made up disabilities, you know. Everybody's making faces. Everybody's just going, eh, and they, you know, it's like a room full of Trumps. You know, we don't know what we were doing. But uh, watching Williams, you know, make De Niro laugh at every take, you know, just sort of brilliant. Here he is playing this like complicated character, you know, with all these issues. And, and and Williams is just making him laugh. And when you work with people like that, it, it was just like experience. constant awe. No, were you I able have to, to say get... I was never one of those guys. I don't know what it was because I guess I was a kid from Brooklyn, and we would never. We were always taught never to make a big deal out of anything. You know, if you walked into a bar and you know Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin walked in, shut your mouth, mind your business, don't fucking look, <laughs> don't be a jerk, don't fawn. You know all that Brooklyn stuff. So we were always cool around people, and, and we, it was it was uncool to make a stink. So, but in turn, that gave me this thing of you know the negative thing of not sort of appreciating the moment when it was happening. And I always said I respect these people who know like, wow, this is kind of like amazing. Like I never had those moments. Ever. Like I worked with Ted Danson for like you know five six years, and you know I grew up watching Ted on Cheers, and I never went you know oh hey I'm working wow like. Mm. I'm I'm working with the guy I sat on my bed and watched on Thursday nights, you know, because I was always about you just do the work, you do mm. your work, you come in, you do your work. It's none of your fucking business. That's Robert De Niro. But do you ever stop in that business. moment? That's Robin Williams. Right now, I'm like, wow. <laughs> I look, I just look back and I go, oh, you know, somebody was saying to me, oh, look at all the stuff. It's hard for me to go to to take that route, you know. Mm. Egos, uh, but even just for a moment, I to believe go, ego's I, the arrived. enemy. I've Ego. arrived a little bit. I'm, uh, I'm with Ted Danson. I don't know. I'm, with Robert I'm still De Niro. waiting to arrive. I really am. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie. So I've had this very good career, but sporadic career. Mm. Like I don't. Other actors work more than me, which is envious because I need to make a living. But uh, the, then when I get jobs, I get great ones. Like mm -hmm. you know, like I won't get a job, but then when I finally get one, it's you know, Kirby enthusiasm. Right. And then I won't get one. And then it's, you know, Becker. So, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody, I'm, who doesn't? Every actor wants to work more mm. uh, in terms of, you know, being able to do this for a living because it's what we do for a living. You know, people forget. So Mocha Joe was a guy on the lot, but also a, a, Larry had gone to Martha's Vineyard and he got a cold cup of coffee. And that That's was kind the story, of the... Yeah, that's the story he tells. Uh, that was the inspiration for 10, not the original. I, uh, Mocha Joe appeared in season seven, the final episode of season seven where he reunited the Seinfeld cast. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's when he created that character to be introduced. And he was the coffee guy on the CBS lot, Radford lot, where we shot, where they shot mm -hmm. the show, Seinfeld, the show within the show. 
uh, supposedly there was a real coffee guy, a guy named Joe. I don't know if Larry used this, but a guy contacted me, Joe, and he was the coffee guy who supplied all the coffee for the lots, and he had a coffee cart on the lot. So, and he worked on side belts, so he feels like Larry, based on him. And he, and he, I don't know, I, I'm not Larry, but uh, that's when he was introduced. And then that was it. It, it felt like a one-off, you know. I just went in and did it. I met Larry all those years ago, and I'd see him at maybe some events, you know. I, think I ran into him a couple of times at maybe an event at Ted Danson's house, but. But but I ne I was never on it, and we were never like friends. But uh, so my agent at the time called me up when I had finished shooting. I was done with Becker, and she said, "You want to audition for Kirby Enthusiasm?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." I didn't go. I know Lavi. I know. I just said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> so I went, and then I got up there, and everybody was there. You know, guys from Saturday Night Live. You know, big comedians being there reading for it, and that's uh, so why I said, "I'm not getting this." You know, it won't be me. But I walked in, and then they came out, and the casting director came out. Larry gave them a thing, a piece of paper, and they handed it to us. And I opened it, it was a little piece of paper. And I opened it, and it just said, you're the coffee guy on the lot. You did Larry a favor. He didn't tip you. That's all you get <laughs> before you go in the room. And then I opened the door, and everybody's there, and there's an actual coffee cart. There's a cart in the middle of the room, and Larry's there. He's like, hey, hey, all right, let's just uh, do some improv. And I was like, okay. And we just did it, and that was it. And I left, and then my agent called me up and said, hey, they want you to do this. And I was like, okay. And I, I went down the first day, and then I started seeing all the people from Seinfeld. And I was like, then I saw the director, Andy Ackerman, who was director of all the Beckers, and I said, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm playing myself. I'm the director of Seinfeld. I said, well, what are we doing? He goes, Larry didn't tell you? I said, no. He goes, oh, he's reuniting the Seinfeld kid. So then I saw Larry. I'm like, wait, why you didn't tell me it? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it on Seinfeld cast. So you didn't tell me? No, no, no. What am I doing? So we were just kind of like, and then next thing you know, like standing on the Kirby Enthusiasm set, but on the set of the Seinfeld set. So I'm on Seinfeld set doing Curb on the Seinfeld set. It's like the art imitating life aspect yeah. to it all. Yeah, it has yeah. to be weird, yeah. so, you know, when you're... And I auditioned for an episode of Seinfeld that... Which is ironic because I auditioned for this episode of Seinfeld. So I auditioned for Larry and Jerry. Uh, I auditioned for this episode of Seinfeld called The Pool Boy. And it was this uh, gay pool boy who, at the gym who was obsessed with Jerry uh, and wouldn't leave Jerry alone, constantly giving Jerry towels. And he was like a Latino pool dog. And, 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 so, and uh, so I went in and I read for it. And uh, I was in LA at the time. I was living in New York, but I was in LA. I was staying at my buddy Bruno Kirby's apartment. Uh, God rest his soul. And uh, I went in and did it, and they, and it, long story short, they cast someone else. And I had that rare thing happen in an actor's life. I went in and auditioned for Seinfeld, and I got back to the apartment. I was staying at Bruno's, and I got back to the apartment, and my agent called and said, hey, there's a play you did in New York. They're turning it into a movie, and they want you to do the movie. You'll leave for Vegas tomorrow if you say yes. And I was like, who backed out? Because if I leave for Vegas tomorrow, they fired someone. I wasn't the first. <laughs> I'm not the first. Year. So, uh, but I... And you didn't get the Seinfeld episode. Oh, okay, great. So I went and I did this movie with Rebecca DeMornay, Delroy Lindo, Michael Madsen, Frank Whaley, Billy Bob Thornton. Just, it was a play that was done in New York and they're turning it into a movie. And I went and did this independent movie in Vegas. And while I was in Vegas doing the movie, my agent called and said, hey, they called from Seinfeld. They, they, uh, it didn't work out with the other guy. He won't do what they want him to do. He thinks it's too, uh, it's being derogatory to whatever. 
it was at the time. You know, he didn't want to do Hispanic. He didn't want to do the typical gay guy. Whatever it was, I don't know. Uh, they want you to do it, and I was like, didn't work out. The movie was so low budget. They had no way they could let me out to do it. So I ended up losing the episode of Seinfeld. But then, ironically, all those years later, I'm now on the set of Seinfeld on Curb Your Enthusiasm doing Curb and Seinfeld almost at the same time <laughs> with Jerry. It's crazy. So you just go, wow, what a weird, what it, a weird kind of like, I lost the Seinfeld only to work with Seinfeld on Curb Your Enthusiasm mm -hmm. those years later. So you said uh, uh, Larry would tell everyone to constantly say Mocha Joe. Like it's almost like a brand. Yeah. I, yeah. Just, just I, I mean, refer to that was, I mean, I'm assuming that's what he told people. Yeah. I mean, I know that because everybody, yeah, I know they do that. I know there's repetition that he likes. He loves rhythms, mm -hmm. I would imagine, because mm -hmm. he, he loves rhythms. Same thing like with Marissa Tomei on Seinfeld. Marissa Tomei, Marissa Tomei, Marissa Tomei. Because of the rhythm of her, <laughs> right. the, the rhythm of her name is, mm -hmm. you know. He and he also it. loves like. Mocha Joe, Mocha Joe. That's why in that name, Jerry's like, like, Mocha Joe. Well, you don't know. Mocha Joe has nothing. Right. What did Mocha Joe get from you? Mocha Joe has nothing. So it's like a non. Mm -hmm. So in a weird kind of way, it's jilted the people's minds so much that I did the series finale in season seven and my own agent asked me, how many episodes of Curb did you do this year? I said, one, you idiot. You're the <laughs> fucking agent. <laughs> he goes, oh, it felt like you were on more. I go, yeah, well, not not my accountant doesn't think so. Uh, only you. <laughs> so when you first, when Larry first goes into uh, Mocha Joe's and the coffee is cold and then he sticks in his- In 10, now when she's in 10, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. sticks his nose in it. <laughs> Do you know whether that was something he just thought of in that moment? No, I didn't or... know he was going to do it. I didn't know he was going to do that. <laughs> you know, the, obviously the whole show was structured, but there's no dialogue. So, and then for plot, there are certain things they might want to hear in a scene. So they might say, Jeff Schaefer, the director and co-writer with Larry, uh, will say to me, Severe, at some point we just need you to, at some point in the scene you got to insult Larry. And I'll say, okay. And then uh, at some point, you know, you know, just do it. But at some point, you got insulted, uh, and because that's what's going to him, that gives him his motivation to take the next, mm -hmm. take it to the next level. Or uh, at some point, Larry, you got to get up and leave. So we just do it, and then you would do it, and I go, you know. And he did the, he did the, you know, nose in the coffee. If this was coffee, was oh, could I do this? So then that was my opportunity, and that's why I just said, well, okay, this is my opportunity to insult him and say, well, no, that just makes you an old ball fucking nut. <laughs> And which he then uses to later. go to, oh, 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 ball fucking nut. And then JB steps in and goes, oh, you know. And then when he's on a date with a Beatles, woman. He, he goes on a, <laughs> yeah. he goes on a rant because he's a fucking genius. So when you know you, <laughs> when you know you have to insult him, yeah. do you sort of say, okay, I'm not, I'm going to wait until I'm in a moment in a conversation and then just. Yeah, I won't go right to the insult you, because there's a whole scene before that. It's getting the But you don't here. plan it in your head. No. Like, what should my insult be? Like, no. you know, you're so he no. dunked his nose in, no. and that was no, the end. No, it just came know. out. I don't think about it ahead of time. Uh -huh. No, I don't. I go off of what he's giving me. But like I said, it's just structure, sort of like you know. He goes, "Hey, Uncle Joe," and he calls me over, and I come over, and he go, and I go, "Yeah, well, you know, what's up?" And he's like, uh, "You know, it's cold. It's cold." Whatever. No, first you said the wobbly table. So right. no well, table's wobbly. So I'm like, well, "By the way, how's our tables?" Yeah, it? they're good. They're good. It's not wobbly, <laughs> by the way. In the back room, it is not wobbly. By the way, I love uh, what you said to Ted Danson when he finally said to you, oh, oh and the table's wobbling. And you're like, yeah, yeah, stick your fucking foot <laughs> yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, just put your foot on it. So that's what I said to lie. We'll just put your foot on it, you know, because you don't want to be, you want to be as, as an outrageous, you know, because Mocha Joe's an asshole too, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, so, you know, it's like, 
It's not like Larry's just the asshole. Mocha Joe's an asshole. The table is wobbly, but I'm like, just put your foot on that. That's what everybody else does. Anything to aggravate Larry. You, know? you said the show is, a lot of the shows are about Larry having that nemesis who is the, yeah. who can be the bigger asshole. Yeah, as a viewer, you go, okay, you know, like, it's sort of like, yeah, you want to, because if I just go, oh, he's an asshole, it's not funny. If he's just an asshole, he is an asshole, but, you know, most people would give him, you know, if I say, yeah, oh, yeah, it's cold, let me give you another cup of coffee. You know? The interesting thing about Mocha Joe was I, I noticed that when that aired, people started giving Larry right. They were like, Larry's an asshole, but he's totally right with this Mocha Joe thing. He's totally, this guy, this Mocha Joe guy's an asshole. You know, so people started like, and that's what I think you're searching for. It's like they're giving Larry fucking right. Larry's a jerk. Right. <laughs> but they're choosing, you got to choose the lesser of the asshole. Right. And, and I think, but it's also not funny. You know, a friend of mine did an episode once and I think, you know, and he, and uh, he he was supposed to bump Larry's car with like a car accident scene, and then he hits the car, and then and and Larry gets out, and he's Larry's. What are you doing? You, you hit my car, and then Larry realizes, you know, it's not funny. You hit me, and you get out <laughs> like crazy. Like, what are you doing? That's funny. So he hits Larry, and he gets out. He goes, what the hell are you doing, man? What are you doing? And he goes, you hit me. You know, it doesn't work. Right, if, of right. course, I'm going to be mad if you bang into me. But if you hit me and get out like I hit you, right. that's funny. <laughs> so he, he said you changed it right there. He goes, no, hit me and get out like I hit you. Like it's all my fucking fault. And and then that gave Larry the the the, the push to go. You hit, you know, you know. So I just think it's a it's a, it's a you know, he knows that style of comedy. Mm -hmm. He's pretty great at, as in terms of like I don't. I must say he's just nothing. It's very rare. Never. There's nothing he tells me not to do. And once I gave him the finger and he said, don't give me the finger. In a scene, because you know he just he didn't want it. Maybe later or don't do it. So he, he he's pretty good about that stuff. But he he goes to places like the Holocaust shoes, like that <laughs> episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. How how like how the show got away with that? And I'm a Jew, and I watch it. I'm, no, I'm I on the I floor rolling in it. laughter. I love it because I just think Larry he doesn't care, and I in a good way. And I but look, it's it's all there. It's all open for for. I mean, people look, wow, how is he doing this stuff? Like, how does he, in this, you know, in today's environment with all the stuff, you know, all this, you know, uh, political correctness, and some rightfully so, some not rightfully so, but uh, how does he get away with it? Mm -hmm. And it, I, you know, he doesn't care. You know? But it's funny, he's, he's making... I don't care. He's making fun of stuff that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know... Yeah. It, it's funny, I mean, we gotta yeah, be able did, to laugh at some of this stuff. You know, he did the thing with the MAGA hat, and they were like... They did a. They aired the first two episodes at the Ninety Second Street Y, and we, you know, so they. And I was in New York, and I said, "Hey, do you want to come to the Ninety Second Street Y? They're going to premiere the first two episodes of season ten, and Larry's going to do an interview afterwards." So we went down, and me and JB and Susie uh, were there, and uh, you know, the interviewer said, "You know, the thing with the mag ad. I mean, do you care that you, you, you know, you might get some political right What the fuck?" He said, "Like, I don't, they don't." And I think you can't especially with what he's doing, it's like, look, you can't, if he worries about every little thing, it just changes what Curb is. Right. And that's not his audience either. It's not it's, my audience. Right. You know what I mean, it's not, you know, it's like. So he's he's not only being funny, but he's making social political commentary that when right. you wear that hat, no one wants to be around you. Like he gets out of a, a lunch with a guy he doesn't want to have lunch with. He right. gets to sit at the sushi bar. <laughs> yeah, Nobody, he wears the hat with Phil Rosenthal. The, yeah, yeah, puts the hat on. They're him. like, no, we'll go find somewhere else. Right, exactly. He's driving in his car. But isn't that the case? So what's so wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, well. 
And if you're worried about the people who wear that, who actually wear the MAGA hat, offending them in that scene, what's the point of doing it? Yeah, I guarantee you, they're they're not watching. Who her. cares? And if they are, they're laughing. Yeah. And so the uh, a big question I got to ask you is: Is a scone supposed to be hard or soft? <laughs> hard or soft? <laughs> now that's another thing. Like like, and that's and that's an odd scene because when he says to me about the scone, it's a muffin. That, eh, it's a muffin. And you know, and I'm like, you know, that. You could just, that scene is just a, a favorite scene of mine because of, that's the point. It's real. Like, I could have said, I just was like, you want the muffin or not? I mean, you want the scone or not? And he goes, no, I'll take the muffin. And I go, enjoy your scone, man. Yeah. You know, it's there, muffin, scone, right. muffin, scone, muffin, right. scone. I'm not, you know what I mean? Supposed to be, you know, no, supposed, so to be, funny. supposed to be, uh, supposed to be hard. And I'm like, supposed to be fresh. <laughs> yeah, fresh, hard, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you just think, you, you just, the banter is just, you no, know, that scene was great. You can't, it, and I just sit back and watch, you know, I'll be on set and watch other scenes, him doing scenes, you know, anybody doing him. I mean, JB just. No, Leon is. JB, I, I, I literally. When the guy, the electrician is saying he can't yeah. come now till 3.30 and Leon says, put me on the phone, Larry. Yeah, put me on the phone, Larry. <laughs> One of my right. favorite scenes is a, is a very short scene in Curb in this series, season that I did in 10. Uh, he, uh, I walk into the coffee shop next door, Latte Larry, where they're building it. And I walk in and bring a cup of coffee and I say something and JB says, fuck you, Vanilla Joe, which I thought was fucking, it was just hysterical. Yeah, fuck you, Vanilla Joe. I wrote and that down. Like, that was in my notes. Fuck you, Vanilla Joe. That's what I'm saying. It's like, that's not written. He just, he just, he just shoots it out. <laughs> I've seen him perform live. He is oh so funny. Yeah, yeah. He's so you said when you, when they, when Larry contacted you to, or to do, Season ten. It was originally yeah. like one episode. Well, like that's another what they, episode, they kept calling they... my agent and 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 saying, uh, calling me and saying, uh, uh, the producers called. They, you know, they uh, Larry wants you to do a couple of episodes, one or two episodes this season. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, great. And then you know, nothing. And then I get a call back. I want to, you know, they need you for you know, two or three. Okay. Whenever you're doing it, and, he, and then it got kept going on, and then the producers called and said, "Look, you know, we're, uh, Larry keeps writing for you, and you know, we, now we have to tell him like you at some point, you know, we have to make sure Severio can do this. You know, you're writing in a season, an entire season around that character. We haven't even asked him to do it yet, and you know, apparently he was like, he'll do it.' <laughs> and I was like, uh, and then they finally called and said, "Look, you know, we need you for all 10. Uh, but I still at that point, like I told you, had no idea what I was. I didn't even know what I was coming back as. Like, I didn't know if it was Mocha Joe. He just said he wanted me to do, he never said Mocha Joe. So I thought, well, what am I doing? And he never told me. And then it wasn't until, uh, and then when I, got, when I got the offer, obviously they have to put the character, so they offered it was Mocha Joe and I got the official offer. But I still hadn't known what I was doing. How was he bringing me back? What was I doing? And I had no idea. And then they wouldn't send me the outline until the night I got on the, the, the night before I got on the plane. He didn't want me to see it. And then they sent me, they let me have it. I said, well, can I at least see the treatment for the first fucking episode? I mean, I'm <laughs> flying out to do this tomorrow. I work. Can I see it? And they, and then I ran into uh, Susie Esman at the airport. We were on the same flight. And uh, she was like, oh, you don't know? I'm like, no, I don't know anything. I can't tell you. Larry will kill me. Larry will kill me. I can't tell you. Larry will kill me. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I went out. And then, and then uh, you know, it became obvious to me that 
when I showed up on the set the first day, they had built an, they had actually rented an actual strip mall outdoors and they, an actual store and they built Mocha Joe's coffee shop. Mm. I mean, they built it. People were coming in it and looking to buy coffee. It was that, they didn't know it was a set and they were building Latte Larry. Right. That, that wasn't done yet. Only Mocha Joe was done until he starts building. But, and they, to, they, they took both of these actual businesses, rented them out and built actual coffee shops in a strip mall in California. So when I got there and saw the set, I was like, it's big. He's got me for all these episodes, and and I'd spend the money building a coffee shop if, if he's got me. Because I, I didn't know, right. even people that go, well, yeah, but you still were going to do seven or eight episodes. You got to know you're in it. But I said, yeah, you don't know how he's going to, I don't know how he's going to use you. Larry could mention you, and then you don't see you for seven episodes, and it's everybody saying Milk or Joe, but I'm not there. Right. You know, I didn't know what it was until mm -hmm. he came out and saw me on, and I, first time I went, big year for you, buddy, big year for you. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> and then we just literally, just kind of got to it. Wow. We shot that. We shot that. I think that was the first scene we shot was when him and Leon come in mm -hmm. to the to the coffee shop. That was the first scene we shot. One of my favorite me. moments that season was when uh, John Hamm comes in with Cheryl, and and he's he's doing Larry. The table's wobbly. The yeah. coffee's cold. John Hamm, get out. You're banned, John Hamm. <laughs> I, I I missed an opportunity there. That that's the only time I thought about a scene. I. I thought we were gonna get one more take, and I wanted to—I—I I, I did have one for John when I banned him. I wanted to say—I wanted to say your canned ham, but it came out your banned, your banned John Ham. Because same thing, you wanted me to—they—they they, they wanted to hear John Ham. Mm -hmm. Another thing, they want to hear John Ham a lot. John Ham, it's John Ham, John Ham. <laughs> but uh, you think the Mocha Joe character works so well because you're like this quintessential New York guy yeah. and, and they're all a bunch of California in LA. Yeah. In yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like the yin to the yang. I kind don't of know. Thing. I don't know. It's never mentioned, even though it's obvious, you know, I'm urban and I could be, you know, but that's the great thing is like, he lets you just create the character and it's, there's never any, uh, conversation about the specifics. Mm -hmm. Mocha Joe is from here or, and he's there or he's here and he's this. It's just sort of, you're just Mocha Joe. And, you know, so that was great. At ten, when he came in, he gave and he gave me my a mother, my mom, Mocha Jane, and uh, which was great. She was amazing, and uh, he, you know, he showed me where I live. He gave me the house, you know. And then, if you look, a little trivia: if in the there's a scene in season ten where I'm watching, uh, I'm watching a movie with my mother in my house, and. Jeff Schaefer asked me if I would give him pictures of me, Severio, as how many pictures of myself young that they get frame and put around the house. So all those pictures of me as a little kid in real life. I took the, coming down the stairway, there's a picture of me and it's me. It's all me as a little kid. He put behind the mantle on the fireplace. So we have all those great little pictures. Of, you know, he's got these pictures of me talking to my mother, and then behind me it's like a picture of me as a little kid. <laughs> and and the um I'm impressed. He's got notes. Look at I this. I do have notes. Real notes. E is for effort. Uh, that's season seven, the sign of oh. reunion. We had this great improv where I did Larry the favor and he didn't tip me. And I said to him, we would make it even. <clears throat> I got hired to work a coffee cart at Julia Louise Dreyfus's house for a book party for Jason Alexander. He wrote a book called Acting on Acting. Actors on Acting. Something stupid. And so I was there and Larry comes over to my cart. And I'm still mad that he never did me the favor or something like that. And so anyway, I say, if you do me this favor, I'll forget about the no tipping and then we're even. So I asked him to go get me coffee because if he can stop by and get a shop and get me my beans. You know. Anyway, he doesn't do it. He gets there and his door's closed. And so there's the scene where 
I walk over to him on the side of Seinfeld and I say, hey, Larry, did you get me those beans? And he said, oh, no. No, I went all the way there and the store was closed. So I said, well, then you didn't do me the favor. And he goes, no, I tried to do you the favor. I, 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 I went there, but the store was closed. I said, well, that's not a favor. So Jerry comes over and starts saying, well, what, what, what does Mocha Joe have? Mocha Joe needs beans. He doesn't need like half a favor. And I'm like, and we go back and forth, and then Larry gets mad, and Larry starts screaming at Jerry. Oh, yeah, Jerry, what about E for effort? What about E for effort? And he goes, you guys, think about that. E for effort. And he runs off. And so I just turned around, reaction in being in the scene, and said, F for favor. And Jerry just went, C for coffee. And it just happened to be really fast, and it stayed, you know. So he went, E for effort, F for favor, C for coffee. And it's one of those, like, great, mm. great little improvs, you know. And you and Rosie Perez went to see Larry when he was doing Broadway. We did. We went to see Larry on Broadway, and Rosie Perez said, I said, I wanted to see Larry after the show. And I hadn't seen him in a while. This is before, I had only done the one episode in seven, so this is before season 10 even happened. Uh, and I said, I want to go backstage and see Larry, because I was in her dressing room and visiting. And she, and she was like, no, you can't, you can't, no, you can't go bother him. He doesn't like anybody to bother him, knock on his door. He doesn't like anybody going in there. And I, you know, I've had family here, and I don't even knock on the door at all, right? I said, what are you talking about? I want to go see Larry. I'm not going to the door. She said, I'm telling you, he doesn't like anybody going bothering him. I said, Rosie, please. And I knocked on the door. He goes, who is it? Get away from my coffee cart, Larry. He's like, And he opens the door. Gives me this big hug. Hanging out. He's like, my favorite improv. Sheep for coffee. Eat for effort. Sheep for coffee. Eat for favor. Rosie's like, what the fuck, man? I'm doing the play with him. He won't even let me knock on the door. So it's like, she thought he'd be unhappy to see me, but. But he wasn't there. Well, you've done a lot of film. You've done a lot of TV. You 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 mentioned Becker. You've been on Billions. Show Me a Hero, which I thought was a great show. Yeah, um, I love Show Me a Hero. That was a great. Uh, but I gotta say, you know, your 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 performance on Letterman in 1994. Oh, you asshole! Um, as as yeah. guy harassed by cop on the edge. Yeah, my buddy Bruno Kirby. Unbelievable. Bruno calls Unbelievable. me up. Yeah, Bruno calls me up. <laughs> uh, what is it? a cop on the edge? I remember that 1990 something. Four. Bruno calls me up and says, hey, buddy, I'm in town. I'm doing I'm doing Letterman tonight. <laughs> hey, buddy. That's how he goes. Hey, buddy. Every phone goes, hey, buddy. <laughs> I'm doing Letterman tonight. I had a little, little character. I had a little cop on the edge. I want you to come down. Do what? He goes, hey, you play like a punk. <laughs> I go, I'll be the punk on Letterman. So we go down and we do the stupid scene. He's like the cop on the edge. And he grabs everybody. Stupid. I'm not just a cop. I'm a cop on the edge. <laughs> And they do it throughout the episode of Letterman. Do you get to hang with Dave? Yeah, we went into the studio and, uh, I love you know, got David. to meet Dave, got a sweatshirt. And, uh, you know, it's freezing. They Letterman kept their studio like, you know, 45 degrees. You were freezing your ass off because you went to the audience and I fall asleep. <laughs> but it's freezing. But uh, now I, somebody, uh, somebody was talking about that the other day. I had for, not forgotten about it, but not on, you know, front of my brain and I said oh I was I did this sketch on Letterman oh my daughter's boyfriend I said oh I did a sketch on Letterman they were talking about another guest and I thought I think he was the guest on Letterman the night I did the Bruno Kirby thing Cop on the Edge so they looked it up I didn't even know it was online and they showed it to me and they said look you could see it online and I had seen it I hadn't seen it in years and just to see me and Bruno young and uh, we lost Bruno uh, 17 years ago mm. Yeah, he, Funny guy. Yeah, he passed away three months before my daughter was born. He was a good, a really good friend of mine. Uh, died of leukemia. But uh, 
sort of see it and see Bruno. I could specifically remember the moment and him calling me, going, meet me, meet me at that, meet me at Letterman, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what's next? It's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. No writer strike. Mm-hmm. Not much going on right now. Are you do? Do you do any picketing? Are you involved? Yeah, in yeah. I went down the very first day of, of picketing. I go down. I try to do. I try to do. You know, a couple m- m- more. But I went down the very first day to Manhattan. I did the Netflix uh, building. I always do it. I did it in 2007 in LA. I believe in everything those guys are trying to do. I also think it's a larger issue. I think why there's so much support, and I feel it's not just about writers. It's about union busting. Mm. That's the truth. Well, that's the way They don't want us unionized. Microcosm of the country. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and if you tell these guys I can do a show for you overseas, no unions, you know, I can deliver you. I can, the only reason they don't do it is because you, you can't deliver, a, you know, mm. you can't, they can't deliver that show. But if they could deliver a show overseas with non-union people, they do it. It's just greed. Bruno used to say before he died, they, yeah, they want to, they're making us robots, buddy. They're going to turn it to the robot. <laughs> they're going to take our place. <laughs> You know, and he wasn't wrong. Look where we are. You know, AI. It's like now you put your face on. I mean, you could put, you could put Tom Cruise in any movie you want. You could be Brad Pitt. Yeah, why not? There you go. Put, Look at that. I did comedy yeah, callback. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> comedy callback. Yeah. One more time, and we got a three. You know. You do any other impressions? You do a great <laughs> Bruno Kirby. Do you uh, any, any other? I don't. I don't. I don't. No. Uh, I do. I do my buddy Titus Welliver doing his best impression. Of Pacino, because you know Titus Welliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's amazing. He's but he's a master impression, mm-hmm. and he he does Pacino. I mean, he's it's scary. I mean, he would call in L.A. and make reservations for us in restaurants at Pacino. It's Al. Yeah. I'm coming in with some people. You know, he was. <laughs> I want a big table. You know, he's brilliant. I don't do you know Pacino, but I do Titus doing Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. He did Pacino and Chris Walken eating cereal in the morning, which is just fucking the Fruit Loops. I love the Fruit Loops. And he, it's it's pretty amazing. I can't do it. But what's uh, the walking part? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't do, I couldn't do walking. You know, cornflakes, Al. You know, but he he's he he literally is amazing. Well, listen. Thanks for coming in. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it's been a while since I stood in the three by seven room. Uh, yeah. You put a bathroom the... in here, seven thousand a month in a man. You didn't even mention it. You didn't <laughs> even mention the ventilation. He got a little toilet right there and a hot plate. We got a we got a one bedroom <laughs> in the village. No, I'm not kidding. Seriously, we should do that. I'd rent it. <laughs> well, Severio, you've been uh, you've been very generous with your time. This has been very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, we 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 demand that you come back Dude, and talk. I live more. in Rhinebeck. What else would I be doing? All I mean, right, there's, there's nothing for me to do but come here. You need me to do a second one. You want to do like a double hitter? <laughs> Marathon. I can pretend I'm other people. Next we have. <laughs> Next time you'll come in, maybe Next as Mocha Joe. Hello, and I'll I'm here do doing, and I'm in the box. <laughs> I'm in the box with the little room. It's a little room. It's not big. Hoo-ha. Not very big in the room. <laughs> I did that for La- I said, Larry, I do my buddy Titus Welliver doing Pacino. And he goes, yours sounds like a little Jimmy Durante. So <laughs> it does. Doesn't it? How does Jimmy Durante? Say? Well, you just aged yourself big time, yeah, dude. Yeah, well, Jimmy Durante. That's like saying he sounds like George Washington. No, but I'm 58, so you know. But I know who Jimmy. You know Jimmy Durante. Is. Yeah, and, and Larry thinks my Pacino sounds a little bit like Jimmy Durante. <laughs> they so I told do. you, it's not my impersonation. Titus Welliver does. He's gonna be mad. I'm talking about him. Uh, he does Pacino. He can do. He does Pacino every era. The voice is changed. He does. You know, he'll do like you know, uh, Dog Day Afternoon. He'll do. Where he goes, and he'll explain to you. Here's a little, he's a little higher pitched here, and then he does the progression to, you know, 
to the voice you have now. And it's it's amazing. You gotta this have him on. The Chino thing is funny because his voice has changed over the years. Yeah. Well, if you look at, like I said, if you look at Dog Day Afternoon, if you look at uh, Serpico, they're all so you can you can gauge right. him within that. Uh, he was in the audience. I got thirty five stitches in my lip on stage. <laughs> I was doing a play. <laughs> I was doing a play in New York, uh, and there was a fight scene, in, and it was me, Titus Welliver, David Eichenberg, and uh, uh, Bruce McVitie. You know. Three amazing actors, and we were playing this, doing this play, playing four brothers, and it was a fight scene in the end, and a scuffle between the brothers. And one night, I got accidentally, I fell down on this. There was some uh, like stuff on the floor, and it was moving. And anyway, I fell, and the fight scene went wrong. And when I went to get up, David Eichenberg threw a punch, and it hit me right in the face, and my tooth went through my lip. And I'm standing, there, and the next scene is we're supposed to be standing, and the lights come up on it, and we're like, "Dad, I didn't start it. The, the fictional father will." stage i'm like dad i didn't start it but now the audience sees me i'm bleeding everywhere and it's real and i i come off stage and i walk uh, I, I walk in and i look in the mirror and my and tooth is through my tooth is through my lip and i'm blooded everywhere and i turn around and al pacino he's in, he's standing in the the curtain and he sees my lip and he's like severio we got to get you to a hospital <laughs> <laughs> and matthew broderick and sarah jessica parker took me to the hospital so Matthew and Sarah are there, David's there, they got me to the hot, they get me to St. Vincent's, right? I got a rag, they give me a rag, and I got a rag on my face, there's blood everywhere. And I look at the, and the woman sitting behind the glass, and I go, she goes, hi, can I help you? So I got Matthew here, Sarah here, David looking over, because he felt bad, he punched me. And, and, I, and I go, hi, I'm hurt, and the woman goes, where? I said, I looked at Matthew, I said, take me to Lenox Hill. <laughs> she goes, where? I said, take me to Lenox Hill. And that's where we <laughs> And <laughs> where? Take me to Lennox Hill. I got to say for the people listening, because you can't see this, Severio, while he's doing Pacino, is literally contorting his body like Joe Cocker at Woodstock. It is the funniest fucking thing to go along with the voice. Well, again, Severio, uh, this has been a real thrill. You got to come uh, back, and uh, thanks for coming in. Yeah, and full credit to Titus Welliver on the Pacino. It's of not, course. Nothing to do with The me. whole show. We owe the whole show. You're doing Pacino, and it's my Pacino, and you shouldn't be doing that. It's all about Titus. Yeah, it's all about Titus. And the beans. <laughs> and the beans. All righty, take care. All right, bye guys. Thank you for having me. That's episode 91. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446, email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. And if you do like the podcast, please follow or subscribe. And you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Lane Gell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wynn and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Severio Guerra. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week. <laughs>